Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Shayla Netty and Antoinette Williams. Dr. Shayla Netty is a board-certified internal medicine and obesity medicine physician. She is the co-founder of Cooking on Purpose Health, a virtual direct care preventative and obesity medicine practice. Dr. Antoinette Williams works as a board-certified general public health and preventative medicine physician. She is also co-founder of Cooking on Purpose Health. In the episode, Dr. Nettie and Dr. Williams discuss whether or not weight loss is the best goal for everyone, when weight loss medications are the right intervention, what they've changed their minds about over the years, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to tell you about a company that I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices, and every order ships directly to your door. For $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. Just to put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. But Thrive Market is not just cheap and convenient. My favorite part is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also help make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Dr. Nettie and Dr. Williams. Enjoy! Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Dr. Nettie and Dr. Williams. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hey, Brooke, it's nice to be here. It's really fun to have two guests. This has happened a handful of times in the health investment podcast history. And I don't know why it's, you know, different, unique. I just like it. It's fun to have two people here instead of three, three total people instead of just two. So yeah. glad you could both join me. I would love if you could start off by sharing with myself and with my audience a bit about your background and specifically what led you both to become physicians. Yeah, so I'll start. Um, hi, this is Dr. Nettie, Dr. Shayla Nettie. Um, so officially, I'm a internal medicine and obesity medicine uh, physician. It sounds super fancy, but really all that means is I see adults and I, I like to talk to people about, you know, what is obesity and what what does that entail in terms of 
uh, trying to make changes along the, along those lines. And how did I get into medicine is a very convoluted story, and I won't uh, bore the the listeners with the long version. But the short of it is, um, my mom really is the reason why I got into medicine. Um, she uh, she worked in I think it was a nurse care facility, nursing care facility. I can't remember the exact um, t- type of place, but she came home with the book one day, and it was a book about a cardiothoracic surgeon. And when I heard that, heard of this cardiothoracic surgeon, I thought, oh, I want to be that. You know, my 17 year old self just said, OK, I'll do that. And so um, I joke with people whenever I say the story now, this was pre Google, you know, back when you did Yahoo.com to look for anything for a search engine. So um, I remember my aunt, she uh, looked up, you know, what does it take to become a cardiothoracic surgeon? And it takes a lot. You know, it takes four years of college, four years of medical school, three years of general residency, and then five to 10 years of more advanced uh, uh, specialty surgery to become that. I read all that in like this 15 page document. And I was like, all right, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm signing up for this. And so in my mind, I went to college and I was like, all right, I'm going to do pre-med track and we're going to go this way. And I think my junior year of college, it hit me. Oh my gosh, like I still have 10 plus years of schooling before I'm actually a doctor. What am I doing? And so it made me kind of take a step back and really think about why do I want to be a doctor? You know, what is the point of this? Um, you know, what what is my vision? And um, really what it came down to was um, I didn't know anyone that was a doctor. Um, and, I, and most of the doctors that I went to didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. And um, over the course of being in the pre-med track, I got to see, you know, there's lots of volunteering that I did and shadowing doctors. And as a student, just talking to people and really um, like having a sense of the struggle, if that makes any sense, like really understanding the fears that come with seeing a physician or anyone in the medical field. Like there's this, especially in the black community, there could be somewhat some anxiety about what what does this look like? You know, what are they going to tell me I need to do? Is there going to be some new medication that I have to take? And it inspired me to be uh, the person on the other side that would have that conversation with them and come from a place of, hey, you know, I understand this is scary. Let's figure out how we can make this work for you and your family um, in a very um, like conversational way. And so that was like my my driving inspiration through all the hard parts of medical school and residency was I kept seeing this vision of me being able to talk to other people um, that looked like me, whether, whether they were black or not, it didn't matter. You know, people of color, it could be, it could be anyone. I feel like a lot of people, they don't want to see a doctor, which I understand that you know, because a lot of times you think it means something's wrong. You did something wrong. Your body's not operating the way it's, it's supposed to. I say that in air quotes. Um, and so I saw it as an opportunity to show people like, hey, being a doctor doesn't have to look a certain way. And also you can care about your health. And really, ideally, my goal is to put myself out of business where I don't have to see patients anymore because people have such a, you know, a high level of health that they know what they need to do to to have wellness for themselves. So that's kind of how I got on the journey. And that's what motivates me to continue the journey. Um, And so for me, this is uh, Dr. Antoinette Williams. For me, um, basically getting into medicine in the beginning, um, initially was my interest just in like the sciences and biology. And then eventually it kind of turned more into the health education aspect of it. Um, Like growing up, you know, not having a lot of access to different healthcare systems or just not having that knowledge of what to do or how to be healthy and how to take care of your health. 
Um, and then also having my mom pass away, she had complications with high blood pressure. Um, a lot of those things definitely added to the type of doctor I wanted to become and how I wanted to educate my patients and how I wanted to, um, uh, how I wanted to, to, to practice medicine. Um, and a big part of that um, led me to, to what we're doing today with lifestyle and preventive medicine. Initially, I actually started in pediatrics, and that was great for sure. It was a lot of hospital medicine, and I kind of just saw myself going down the, the typical road of just, you know, very specifically, um, you know, treating the conditions, medicine, you know, being the way, the kind of kind of the way medicine is now. Um, but then I just kind of had this moment of, of like trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to do and how that's going to look for long term. And so then I found preventive medicine um, and, and dive more into that. And eventually, and I left PEDS and went into preventive medicine and general public health so that I can get more information on how to, you know, properly educate, you know, give health education, how to get more, a lot more information on lifestyle as far as nutrition, you know, how all of those things impact our health, exercise, mm -hmm. you know, our relationships and things of that nature. So that's what led me here. <laughs> a lot shorter story, but it's <laughs> No, but That's because I talk a lot. Both good <laughs> and unique. Good. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, and I think, Dr. Nettie, something you brought up that I don't know that anybody has brought up on this podcast yet, and I've interviewed lots of physicians, is the fear that we often feel as patients going to a doctor. It's typically not something you're super excited to do. Most of the time, I would say, when you're right, going to the doctor, right. you're either sick or it's preventative medicine, but like you said, you don't know what the person's going to say. Do you have to change a bunch? Are you going to walk out of the office feeling overwhelmed that you have to change a bunch of things? I mean, I would argue the dentist is worse. I definitely <laughs> dread the dentist I, I more, agree. <laughs> more than the doctor. But do you feel that even yourselves when you go to a doctor? Do you feel a little bit of fear and kind of, it's almost when you sit down, there's this hierarchy of power a lot of times that you feel where this other person holds the power and you don't, at least I feel that. Do you, do you mm. guys experience that at all yourselves? Mm. I'll say, um, you know, that's a great question. So I would say if this was, if you asked me that same question, like five, six, seven years ago, I would say, no, I don't feel that way because most of the doctors that I went to see, they knew I was a doctor too. And so the way that they spoke to me was was more, was more like um like camaraderie if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't as much of a power um, imbalance. But I get exactly what you're saying about that hierarchy of you come in and you know you're anticipating what they're going to say. But even like the the like the ambiance of the environment makes it feel like almost like you're going to the principal's office exactly. and you're hoping they're going to say something good, but you're not quite sure because they have this very stoic face. But um, I give that time period specifically because my my perspective has actually changed since then. So that's why I think it's a really interesting question. I have a five-year-old now, um, five-year-old daughter, and her she's had an interesting health journey that has changed how I see um, going to the doctor, um, mainly because she's got a chronic heart condition and she was born with it. And um, it led to me and my husband uh, being like her advocate since she was, you know, a baby or in utero up until now. And it shifted how I saw going to the doctor's office, going to the hospital in general, whereas before I was very comfortable 
And, you know, it felt it was very normal to me to it, it was a place of like anxiety and fear because I I think one, because it was in a, in a field that I wasn't as um, I didn't understand as much about because I'm internal medicine trained and I know more about adult medicine. Mm. This is all pediatric space. And I'm, I don't remember anything from peas except from medical school. And so I felt like how I used to feel before I got into medicine, where I don't know what they're going to say. And I'm not sure what they're going to talk about. And I don't have a really good uh, like knowledge base on what the different you know, next steps will be for her. And so on that hand, it's changed me in terms of having a perspective of, wow, this must be what patients feel like when they talk to me, even though I may smile, mm -hmm. even though I may you know, try to explain it and I may make a joke so that way they feel comfortable. There may still be this part of them that's like waiting for the other shoe to fall because they don't know. And so that part has definitely has definitely changed me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, in general, just kind of having to, you know, see things from the perspective of the patient, for sure, definitely um, changes our outlook. But I definitely still felt like I had a lot of that um, sort of anxiety, even when I went to the doctor, especially if they're older. And I think a big part of that kind of came from just being in residency, too, like mm -hmm. having that um, attending resident relationship and kind of feeling like you have to know it or you can't especially if they know you're a physician, like you feel like you can't not know something or they kind of talk mm -hmm. to you. I think Shayla kind of talked about this, like they talk to you like you should know these things and you feel a little weird, like, you know, if you don't understand it or, you know, your mind is kind of uh, foggy a lot of times when you're in the in the place. And so you're not necessarily thinking like a physician. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you feel you feel the pressure to have to do that sometimes. But um, I think initially I kind of felt that. But now I definitely have gotten over that. And I feel like actually a little bit more, um, I guess, empowered or kind of I'm OK with speaking up about things. And um, I think it just kind of depends on the, the stage in life you're in, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. Dr. Nettie used the word advocate for your daughter. Right. And I think that as patients, we often have to advocate for ourselves. I know a lot of the doctors I work with see dozens of patients a day, you know, maybe eight to 10 minute time slots. They have so much on their plate. And so I think as a patient, we, I think it's really important to kind of follow up and ask questions and bring questions, you know, with you that maybe you've kind of researched before. And that can also be tricky because I feel as if some doctors don't like that, <laughs> like yeah. turning to Dr. Google. And it's mm -hmm. not necessarily like you're telling them, oh, you're wrong. You know, I read this on Google. This is right. But more of just, I've looked at these different things out there and I'm just curious, you know, what could this medication be like? Or what could this treatment be like? And I interviewed a previous physician. You're last year or the year before, if people want to look up that episode, I'll link it in the show, no show notes. But I think it was called something like, should you fire your doctor? Mm. And it was a physician, Dr. Richa Middle, talking about interviewing, essentially, physicians and making sure that you have a the most comfortable relationship you can have. And you feel like you can ask questions and you feel like if you bring something up, they're not going to say, Oh, or scoff at your own research or Dr. Google or whatever it is you bring in because you want to feel as if you can advocate your, for yourself and say anything. Otherwise, that power struggle is really challenging. Oh, my gosh. that I love that idea of interviewing your doctor. I, I think that makes so much sense because if you think about it, 
it's such an intimate relationship. You're, mm-hmm. you're giving so much of yourself. You're sharing so many details and you're doing it in such a short period of time. And then the conversation has such a powerful impact because it can dictate, you know, what the next steps are in terms of medications you may or may not need. Um, and then even just like if it, you know, depending on what type of doctor it is, whether it's an OBGYN or your adult doctor, adult medicine doctor, or even your know, pediatrician for your kids, it's it's a really like it's a it's intimate, but it's also it's significant and super important. And I agree because, I mean, just because someone's a doctor doesn't mean they need to be your doctor. Like there has to be I don't want to say a vibe, but there has to be an um, there has to be an energy where you feel comfortable. Like even myself, I I um. I have this tendency to be a people pleaser. And I, I do think a lot of that happens in medicine because of what you said before about the hierarchy, where the the traditional way of medicine is very much, you know, almost like a patriarchy where whatever the doctor says, it, that's how it goes. But, but you know, I've, I hope that there's a shift that is starting to happen. I think it started happening during our generation um, in medical school. And, it, you know, we're still seeing that grow. There's still a long way to go. But being able to see like, you know, wait a minute. Yes, I am an expert in how a uh, disease or how health should be, but I'm not an expert on your body. Mm. I'm not an expert on your life. And so in order for this to really work in the best way possible, there has to be a conversation where I'm, you know, giving you that guidance with the expert part. And then you also feel empowered to share, all right, this is what's going on for me. I think the part that you that you brought up, which I think is the real is a, is a big focus of the the disconnect is the time. You, you have eight to 10 minutes to have that conversation. So there's pressure from the provider side, not even just doctors, MPs, PAs, all of us. You only have a certain amount of time to have that conversation. And even if you're the most sympathetic, you know, you want to hear the questions type of person, if you have this barrier of time, how how much will you be willing to dive into, okay, tell me what those questions are. And that's unfortunate because that could then help a person make decisions that really benefit them when they leave the office. And so, you know, I think that's a really good point that you brought up a really good point. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And then in Chayla or Dr. Nettie kind of brought up the concept of us not having as much time. Um, and then, like she said, that even if you're the most compassionate person or you really want to take the time to really give the patient that information, uh, you kind of get sucked into the whole matrix of it all. Like not, you know, you kind of, you have 30, 40 patients in a day and you want to be there, you want to be compassionate, but just working within the system as it is, you just can't and you get burned out and it just creates, you know, this continuous cycle. Mm-hmm. You're both in the field of obesity medicine and preventative care, lifestyle medicine. Do you, do you t- call it lifestyle medicine? Is that kind of the umbrella term yeah so it's a it's a, a few things uh so there is lifestyle medicine there's preventive medicine and then there's also obesity medicine they all kind of touch on similar things but they just have different you know specific certifications and things yeah. oh got it okay and so i would love to know from your expertise you know social media is a wild world there's all sorts say of that stuff. again yeah <laughs> that again being thrown around on all of the apps uh but there Mm -hmm. is a very strong movement now of healthy at every size no one needs to lose weight and then there's pushback of you know people on the other extreme of you know everyone should lose weight where do you fall in terms of preventative medicine lifestyle medicine of this idea 
of healthy at every size. Is that possible? Or do you see improved health outcomes often with some weight loss? Is it dependent on the individual? What have you experienced? So I think it, I think it starts from an individual level. You know, I think, um, I think the conversation is pretty, it can get into these very extreme camps, similar to most things in life, right? Like even you think about the diet wars, like I'm keto. No, I'm vegan. No, I'm Mm plant-based. No, I only eat grass. Like, I mean, (laughs) there's, everyone has their, their thing. Um, and, and I used to be, I'm, I'll be completely transparent. You know, I've tried a little bit of them all for myself and that's what really uh, inspired me to, um, you know, take my own journey and apply that to how I practice as a physician, um, like that disconnect, because really what it is, I think people want like this one size fits all answer. So people can know they're doing the right thing. Like, no, 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 no. This is the right way because they said it's the right way. Here's the evidence for it. So now I know exactly what I need to do, but that's not how life works. And if, and it makes sense, like as physician, as anyone who is a scientist, as much as we've we've already learned, and there's so much we don't know about our bodies yet and how things work. But I even think about the things that I learned in medical school that today we've learned even more about. And so was it wrong back then? No, it's just the picture wasn't as clear. And so I'm I am very much of the mindset of not making these declarative statements of this is how you do it. Instead, what I'm about is, and what I think both of us about, and I'll let Dr. Williams say her piece is more about the personal level, the individualized level. So, you know, from a public health standpoint, I think that's where the issue comes in that we're trying to capture so many people so that we can make these these big changes uh, in health. So we're, you're going to hear a lot of eat fruits and vegetables, you know, have more physical activity, focus on your stress, sleep better to try to capture more people. But when you zoom into like the individual for some people, they may be doing all those things and there's something else that they need to consider. Um, for others, they may not be doing any of those, th- those things. And so those truths are, are true for them. And so it's to me, it's very much personalized uh, care, not even medicine, personalized care. What is going on in your life? You know, some people, like what, what I think about is um, like even you think of, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of evidence that talks about BMI and, and weight. And, you know, there's a, there's a big uh, argument on, how accurate is BMI? How, how accurate is it to focus on how much weight a person should lose? And we can have those we can have those arguments, but I think none of those arguments matter at all. If I'm talking to a patient who they're struggling with their weight, they have uh, diabetes and high blood pressure they're running their family, and they're afraid because their grandmother uh, passed away from a stroke. They don't care what my theory is about how important a BMI is. They want to know what should I do. And the only way I can honestly give them advice about what they should do is to actually know what have they done before? What is the context? What are their stressors? You know, what does their life look like? What is what is the cultural impact, right? Like what, what matters to them? Um, getting to their why, all those little things is what really matters because then that will let them make uh, lifestyle changes that are sustainable. And I hope, I'm hoping that the way that I'm saying this doesn't come across too aggressive because it's, I wish people could see my face. I'm smiling because I think what it is, is it depends. Like every person has to have that conversation. And I, I do think uh, healthcare is getting to that point of individualized care. The problem is that a lot of people can't afford individualized care. Usually if you're having that type, that very specific conversation with the physician or any provider, that means it's going to be a lot more time, which costs more money. And so how do you get to a place where you're able to give that specific advice to a person that speaks to their 
um, exact settings, you know, that's the conversation. Um, does that answer your question? I hope I'm answering the question and I'm not trying to dive either way, but more so say, I don't think it's simple because our bodies aren't simple. People's lives aren't simple. And I think it does people a, dis a disservice if we make these grand statements. And then a person who's on the other side of that statement goes, oh, I'm not doing it right. I have to do this. And they make all these changes, but it wasn't what they needed. No, I think you answered it very well. Uh, and we'll also have Dr. Williams answer and share her thoughts. Uh, but I think often in that space online, it's geared towards, you know, you need to lose weight if you are overweight for to improve mm -hmm. health outcomes. But on the flip side of the coin, there could be somebody who needs to gain weight if they're underweight yep. for yep. health outcomes. And so yes. it's really dependent on the individual. And we can't just make snap judgments on somebody's health yep. based on yep. what they look like on the outside. Absolutely. And, and that, I mean, unfortunately, that's not how most of us were trained in medical school. We try to, we try to make a judgment based off patterns that we recognize, um, whether they're visual patterns or lab patterns or, you know, diagnostic patterns. So there is that bias that we walk into the room with when we see a person look a certain way. And so being able to recognize that is, is definitely important um, because you're right. Someone can be, quote unquote, overweight and all their health parameters look great, just like someone could look a normal weight and that, you know, that we talk about this, someone could be thin on the outside, but they have uh, they have increased visceral fat on the inside, which is what's going to increase their risk for diabetes and high blood pressure and stroke and heart disease. So, you know, trying to keep both of those things in mind, it is a it's a struggle. Um, but I think that if we have the right intention, uh, that people, you know, people can people can tell the difference between versus someone saying you should do this, like just lose the weight versus, OK, hey, let's have a conversation. What what has worked for you? What's your struggle? And, and what do you want to do different about it? Mm -hmm. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at the health investment. Now back to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that, that sentiment of just making sure we personalize it um, to each person in general. And I also think that it's important to uh, be honest too, with the patients as far as understanding whether it's underweight or, you know, extremely overweight, just being very honest about the risk associated with it as well. So, you know, I, like like you said, a lot of social media is very to the extreme of things. And so, you know, wanting people to be confident in who they are and understanding that you can be confident in who you are and still understand, you know, when you do have to make sure you are taking care of your, you know, health risk and things like that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so not like beating people down as far as like you look a certain way, 
But like Shayla kind of said, like looking at those lab parameters, look, making sure that you're within range, you know, you may not be the, the specific quote unquote per- perfect size, you know, and, and if you're not that perfect size, it doesn't mean you're completely unhealthy, but it's just making sure you are aware of those things, aware of your health status and making sure that you're taking care of those things with, you know, continued lifestyle changes, making those healthy choices overall as, you know, as a person and not specifically focusing on the weight only. Mm-hmm. You mentioned nutrition, stress, sleep, movement, I mean, kind of the four pillars there, right? Uh, But I'm wondering in the advent of all of these weight weight loss medications that are also being strewn about on social media, when are medications the right intervention for somebody? Yeah, that's a good question. So the way that I approach it before I ever have a conversation about a medicine um, that needs to be prescribed to help with weight loss, I'm always focusing on the foundation part. And so like, what does sleep look like? You know, what, what does your nutrition look like? What are the things you've already tried in the past? And, um, you know, cause especially being a doctor that, that specializes in medicine that has to do with uh, weight management, especially now with all of the different drugs that are coming out, people want to have that conversation. To me, that is, it's not the starting point. It can, be, it can be a supplement, but it's not the starting point because the reality is, you know, it's no different. I almost see it very similar to diabetes. You know, when, when the, the medications, uh, like uh, a lot of these medicines that we're using for weight loss were initially used for diabetes. And the selling point was, this is great. You don't have to use insulin. But is the, is the, is, are we treating the symptom of diabetes or are we trying to get to the root of the issue? So if someone wants to take that medicine forever, then yes, this is the this is the choice for you. Um, but if you want to get to a point where you don't have to keep taking that medication, or at the very least minimizing how much of it you need, then I think that's a different conversation. And so, you know, what we try to do is we're very um, specific about who we want to work with because I, I understand everyone doesn't see health that way. Some people are okay with taking medicines as long as they need them forever, long term, chronically. And if you know that's what you want, that's perfectly fine. Um, what, what we try to be about is as much as we can, reversing what we can um, and preventing what we can. And then management is kind of like that third tier. Um, and so, like I was saying, I see the medicine more as a supplemental thing where it's not the foundation, but it definitely can help a person get to uh, to the steps that they need so that the lifestyle change is something that's sustainable. Um, and then the other piece of it, right, is you have to always think about, you know, what are the comorbidities or other chronic conditions that they have that could be a potential complication to the medication. Um, because, you know, with anything that you take, there are going to be side effects there. So you have to have that that pro and con that you're weighing to make sure it, it makes sense to prescribe that medication for a person. And I think on top of that, the other piece is being very honest about, you know, how this medicine works and what it what it means to be on it. So I think a lot of people, they see it, at least the conversations that I've seen. And a lot of it has to do with social media. Unfortunately, it's very much pushed as like this magical pill. Um, or this, this magical medication, excuse me, that, you know, kind of gets rid of this issue. You know, you're going to lose the weight. The, the question that I start off with, why do you want to lose the weight? Not how much do you think you need to lose, but why do you think you need to lose weight? Because there's some people who don't need to lose weight. They just need to learn how to have a better sleep routine or they need to, uh, they need to, they need better ways to manage their stress. Um, and for those that need that supplement, we are more than happy with having that conversation. But I think it starts as a conversation once we know those those core, uh, that core foundation is set up with whether it's stress management, sleep, um, nutrition, physical activity. And then another piece 
to that, Brooke, I would add, is the relationships. So sometimes you have all those things checked off, but the, 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 the social environment is not one that is actually one that helps you feel empowered, whether it's someone you're living with, whether it's the neighborhood you live in, that you don't feel safe to be able to go out and exercise, you don't feel safe to have those walks. All that impacts your health. And so it, it can't be just, okay, here, take this medicine and everything is going to be better. That's why I say go back to the individualized part. It's really important for us to have those conversations where we see the whole person so we can know how we can not help them, but empower them, you know, because we're not coming in saying we have all the answers because we don't. It's a combination, our expertise with their expertise of who they are. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything Shayla said. I don't really (laughs) have much else to add. I mean, that's exactly it. Just uh, giving people the tools they need to really empower themselves even, you know, and and go from there yeah mm-hmm. can can I add one thing to that real course yeah man I wish I wish this was a video uh podcast <laughs> selfishly selfishly because um because I want people to I, I would love for people to to truly to be able to see me as I say this and that you know I do think a lot of what people struggle with is a lot of the blame has to comes from healthcare. It comes from the way that we practice medicine. It's very much set up as something is wrong. You go to the provider, they do tests to figure out what is wrong and give you a medicine to fix what is wrong. And then, you know, you shake hands and you go into the next day. It's not set up in a way where how do we get to the root of it so that you don't have to come back here anymore? Not that we don't want to see you because, you know, we love you, of course. But the goal is not to treat the disease. The goal is to help you be healthy. Um, And some will argue, well, that's not the role of an allopathic doctor because allopathic medicine is about, you know, prescribing and diagnosing. And that's why me and uh, Antoinette, we focus on the preventive side and lifestyle medicine side and that we're not we our focus is not on. We want to wait until you have this issue so we can treat it. We want to get get ahead of that. If you already have the conditions, that's completely fine. We still want to help you get to a place where you don't have to rely on these medicines and these tests. Um, but I do think a lot of how people think of um, health, the blame is on providers. And we, we've kind of set up this environment. And I don't mean that in a mean way because I'm a provider. So I'm taking acknowledgement of that. We set up this environment where, where people feel like they don't have the power, where they have to come to us in order to be healthy. And I don't think that's true. Of course, there, of course, there are acute conditions where you need a doctor. I mean, my daughter, I said it earlier, my daughter has a, a chronic heart condition. If the, if the surgeons didn't do open heart surgery on her, she wouldn't be here today. So I'm not saying that medicine and hospital systems and clinics are important. They are. For most of the conditions that in America that we struggle with, 70% of the conditions we struggle with are lifestyle related. It, so that means that if if behavior change actually happens in a way that it's not just in it's not just one you know a person putting the finger on one hole but it's a uh, a systematic approach then most of the healthcare that we provide in this country would decrease significantly because people would know and feel empowered to make those those better decisions um, so that that's my podium <laughs> that I, I get so excited about that because I, I really believe that that is a key a key part to to share with people. Right. You mentioned that in medical school, even you know you might have learned something ten years ago, but now research suggests otherwise. So you kind of change your practice. I always mm-hmm. love asking physicians after working in your field, so in obesity medicine, lifestyle medicine, for so many years. Is there anything you've really changed your mind about? Mm. 
That's a good question. There's a lot of ways I can go with that question. <laughs> Do you want to go first, Antoinette? <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I know I'm trying to think. I feel like there's definitely, I don't know if there's a lot that I changed my mind about specifically as it relates to medicine, because I feel like I came into medicine uh, wanting to view it or wanting to do it in the way that we're doing it now. I just didn't realize that it wasn't done that way. And so then learning more about it and really practicing and getting outside of school, um, it really kind of opened my eyes to how, how it's, how it's done in this country now. And then also, or just in in general, and then how it's, um, how it's not what I thought it would be. And so then, you know, from, from school to now, I definitely have changed, uh, like, or just, I guess, opened my mind to how things kind of are and how it's a lot more of the business side as opposed to just the medicine side. And so um, us starting our own thing definitely helped kind of, uh, you know, fill that gap of what it is I, I thought medicine would be and what I wanted to, to still be mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll piggyback off what, Antoinette said that that's a really good, a really good um, insight because I, I agree. Like I had a very idealized version of what I thought I would be as a doctor. Um, it was like I said before, it's very much about having conversations. And if people can tell from the podcast, I love to talk. I'm not, I don't talk this much when I'm talking with a patient, but I love the back and forth. I love to get to know people. And that's not medicine now. Like, like when you go to a doctor, you know, you're lucky if you got if you get five minutes where they're looking you in the face and they're not in their head and they're not saying anything. There's one um, I may I may uh, mess up this this stat, but I remember when we were in medical school, one of the things that were drilled drilled in our head was um, this premise of I think on average when a physician comes into the room and they ask a patient how they're doing. Within 20 seconds, the doctor starts talking. And and so for a long time, and I still try to remember this, and I could, that's, that stat may be a little bit off, but something around there. Basically not enough time for someone to say anything significant. And I remember thinking, okay, I don't want to be that type of doctor. I want to ask a person how they're doing. And it's, as much as I want to say, do this, do that, do this, do that, I'm going to be quiet and hear them. And actually hear what they're saying and respond to that instead of my agenda. Um, and to Antoinette's point, even though I had this ideal, I realized why a lot of patients don't feel that is because of the structure of our current system. It makes it very hard to stick with that. You know, if if you if I'm going to stick with, I'm not going to say anything. That means that I'm going to spend more time with you, which sounds great. But then that means the next appointment is going to be 15 minutes late. And the next appointment is going to be 15 minutes late. And now I'm going home and I'm doing, you know, two hours of notes. And then I come in the next day. I'm like, oh, it's okay because I love my patients. And then you you multiply that out over five years and that's where the burnout happens. And so I think, well, at least what we try to do is like create our own system where we're not following the rules of you only get 15 minutes, but instead you get 60 to 90 minutes where you can speak and you can be that now you can be quiet for five minutes and actually hear what a person is saying. Mm. So to your point about what did it change? It changed my idea of thinking that the only way to practice medicine was the way that I was trained to practice medicine in terms of a patient comes into the clinic. I see them. I have 20 minutes to work with them. And then if I think I need to see them sooner, I have to get that appointment arranged and maybe it's three months later and we'll see what happens. I think that's the biggest thing that's changed for me that I don't have to follow that rule um, that we can make it in a way that uh, that works for the patient and for us. And honestly, I think the pandemic is what helped 
help that happen. But the advent of virtual medicine, like really um, having more opportunities and apps that allow you to do telemedicine where you can have those longer conversations, or even apart from virtual telemedicine, having, you know, private practices again, where you make the rules. Um, You know, that's how I saw medicine when I was younger. We got away from that you know, during our training. And now we're trying to bring it back. <laughs> we're I trying to bring that. medicine back. <laughs> yeah. I, and I can't wait for you guys to describe how your practice works. Uh, one of the final questions I ask all of my guests, though, uh, is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Um, I think for, for me, I think making a health investment means understanding that it's going to be a, a lifestyle thing, that it's not a very a, a quick fix that it's not um, something you do one time, but that it's going to be continuous. Like it's just a full lifestyle for your health. That doesn't mean you won't have, get to enjoy, you know, the things that people like, you know, whatever it is that you, that you indulge in, but it just means that you're looking at it, not just for the right now, but for the long term, and understanding that that investment will pay off, not just for your health, but for your children's health, you know, you'll continue to pass down those practices of healthy living so that your kids and grandkids and all those can have hopefully, you know, healthier lives and, and product, you know, production, productive lives as well, because you're healthier and can move and can be active. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's really good. And I would say for me, it changes depending on when you ask me. But for today, I would say one small step, like one small change at a time that just adds up, because when I hear investment, you know, my first thought is I'm thinking, you know, financial investment. And like the whole premise of that is, you know, compound interest over time. So you don't have to get, you don't have to deposit, you know, this big chunk of money. So so to Antoinette's point that tomorrow you have a lot of money, it's how do I keep putting in a little bit and then let time stretch it out so that on the other side of it, I'm benefiting. So in a similar way with health, it's how do I just take one little chunk, you know, one little baby step towards what it is that I want. And so then that means you have to have a visualization of what it is you want so that you know what you're walking towards. Um, so I would say that that small change over time, in, the, in addition to having that visual kind of uh, visualization of what the goal is, of what it looks like for you. Mm. And for each person, that'll be different. Where can listeners follow and find you and how can they work with you? I'd love if you could describe how you've set up your practice now, because it sounds fantastic (laughs) compared to, (laughs) you know, the more traditional medicine way of operation. Uh, So where can everybody find, follow and work with you? Yeah, so we're Cooking on Purpose Health. That's our our practice. And our website is cookingonpurposehealth.com. And we are a virtual medical practice. Um, right now, we're seeing patients in Georgia and North Carolina, and we plan on expanding. Um, but we do everything through telemedicine. Uh, and our whole model is that, you know, it's firstly, it's a conversation, but it's about getting to the root cause of uh, what's causing your health conditions or your concerns. And then really from there, focusing on you know sleep, stress, nutrition, physical activity, social relationships, management of stress. And then also one that we don't really talk about a lot, how to avoid risky substances, um, depending on that. And that could be different things for different people. Um, but but the foundation of what we do is lifestyle medicine. Those are those those are the pillars of lifestyle medicine. And we have 60 to 90 minute uh, appointments where we can have that conversation with people. It's three, three. So one tier is three months and the other tier is eight months. And it's a it's a long run. So you get to see us, whether it's one once a month to two times a month. 
And it's not just, hey, let's talk, let's figure this out. It's about building healthy habits. It's about cooking together, hence cooking on purpose. So we, we talk about what, how do we change the habits in the kitchen and make it work for you. So we're not coming in with these uh, general paradigms of like, oh, this is how you do it. We're asking you, uh, what works for you? What have you tried? And, fi- and figuring out together uh, wh- what that looks like. Yeah. And then after we do that initial, like, you know, very um, deep investment and deep dive into your health. We also want to follow up with our patients after that too. So we have like the life, the lifetime, like lifestyle medicine thing where we follow up with you at least a couple of times a year, just to kind of see where you are, you know, see where more jump starts are needed to kind of continue those healthy changes. And then also you can follow us too on Instagram, TikTok, and we have YouTube at the same name, Cooking on Health Purpose. I mean, Cooking on Purpose Health. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yes. It's, yes. The way you describe it, it's making me think of how medicine used to be. I don't even know how many years ago, but a lot of years ago when you had your family physician and everybody right. saw them and maybe they'd even make house calls. I mean, that's probably, yes. you know, yeah, I guess you can make house calls now through Zoom, right? It's a new type right. of house exactly. call. But exactly. But going to my pediatrician growing up, I remember sitting there for a great length of time while my mom would ask mm-hmm. questions and, you know, he was my doctor. I remember when I was 18, my mom said, it's time for us to find a new doctor. And I was like, what? Um, <laughs> what about Dr. Yeah. Nicholson? Yeah. I mean, this oh. is supposed to be my doctor, but she's like, I had to explain he's a pediatrician. You're getting a little too right. old. You know, we need to find somebody else for you. But yeah. it's just making me think of that relationship versus, I mean, I don't even have a primary care physician right now. I have, we have Kaiser mm-hmm. in California. We switched mm-hmm. over to a new plan because my husband got a new job. So I previously had a doctor. And then when the insurance switched over, they just assigned me somebody new. And so I mm-hmm. had to put on a form the other day, who's your primary care physician? And I had to l- literally look it up in my Kaiser app. I didn't even know the person's name. And it's just, you know, there's wow. such a disconnect now, I feel, yeah. with your physicians, which is disappointing. But yeah. fortunately, there are people like you out there that... We're trying. Yeah. We're trying for sure. I appreciate that. No, I that that resonates with me for sure. And I think, like I said, the timing, I think that's really what it is. Like how much time we get to spend with people and, and building that into the system. It, we think that's the biggest difference maker because a lot of times people figure out, they figure out the thing with our guidance. It's not like we're coming in saying, all right, we have the solution. If you just follow this, everything will be great. But it's more about, OK, what, what do you want? You know, why do you want it? And, and, and going from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's that's a really great way to look at it. Thank you so much for being here, both of you. I know you are busy. You're busy physicians. You're creating your own practice. So just very grateful for you to have both shared your wisdom with myself and my audience today. And we all look forward to staying connected with you off air. Oh, absolutely. Thank, Thank you, Brooke, for having us. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. 
Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.